What's up guys? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety Podcast. In today's episode, we're talking to a guest all the way from Australia um, via Zoom, so I've flown all the way over here. That would be really impressive though. Um, all about authenticity at work, working at home, bits and bobs like that. Let's jump into the podcast. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing a stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent. Okay, guys, like I said, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety does exactly what it says on the team. We're here to rebrand health and safety, challenge those over-the-top practices and those perceptions as well. And we do that by providing in-depth, long-form interviews on this podcast and sometimes me waffling and ranting on as well. And then over on YouTube, you go check that out. We do how-to videos, keynotes, vlogs, the whole shebang over there. So if you're new here and you're on YouTube already, hit that subscribe button and the bell so your phone goes bing when I upload something because that's just what I want you to do. I want you to come and watch me straight away as soon as I upload. Do it. Do it now. Do it. Hit it. Hit it now. Do it. Do it now. Press the button. Anyway, today's guest, calling in from Australia, authentic relationship coach, wellness coach. He's got like an unbelievably extensive background experience in leadership and well-being roles, um, working in Australian civil service, in the not-for-profit and in for corporate roles as well. Has an academic background in physio- physiology, physiology, physio- philosophy dickhead philosophy an academic background in philosophy which kind of has given her a bit of a wider focus on kind of the good life asking those questions you know what is the good life and we kind of touch on that in today's episode as well she runs a highly successful online program about authenticity at work specifically for women and she's come on today to just kind of talk to us all about kind of working at home, working from home, building authenticity at work. And, you know, it really complements that kind of the culture side of things. You know, we talk about culture all the time. And, and, and here we're just trying to get really into the nitty gritty of this stuff and how that's kind of impacted us while, during the kind of coronavirus stage where everybody's working from home, etc. And, and kind of touch on how much that's going to change the way we work as well going forward so hope you enjoy this episode i'll stop waffling on because that's pretty much what i'm doing right now just waffling so let's get into the podcast did i even introduce her name's michelle Irvin, by the way let's go michelle good morning for me good afternoon evening for you but welcome to the podcast thanks so much for having me Corner all the way from Australia. Um, I went to Australia on my honeymoon, actually. It's an amazing place. Amazing. I loved it. We did a cruise of the... Oh, I forgot what coast it is. The coast that this, the coast Sydney's on. What's that? South? Uh, east. East, yeah. Um, anyway, why don't you give us an introduction to yourself? 
Uh, so my name is Michelle Irving. I work specifically with women and I work with them around how to find the depth of their own maturity, how to be a mature feminine woman. Uh, and through that, how to have authentic personal relationships and how to be authentic at work, which is such a big uh, experience that everybody's trying to work out how to do. Mm. That's interesting, actually. This is this is not kind of uh, something we discussed, but it's interesting you were saying about like being uh, feminine, which is interesting because yesterday somebody put a post on on LinkedIn about masculinity and what what that is, and and it, the conversation in the comments was actually really interesting, um, and it kind of reminded. I don't know if we might have discussed this when we talked um, we to introduce each other, um, but. Uh, a while ago, Piers Morgan said something on telly. I don't know if you know Piers Morgan. He's very much like Marmite. You either love him or you hate him. Um, I used to love him. No, I just can't stand him now. Um, but anyway, and he said something about like baby slings, you know, like you know, baby oh, yes. cabooses or whatever you call them. And, and said that like they're not masculine. Um, so you're not masculine if you wear it. Now, I've I've brought one for when my baby comes along, and I genuinely can't wait to wear it. Like I'm really excited about it. It was one of the first things I said I wanted to get, and I don't think it was feminine or anything like that. Um, but the conversation was really interesting about like raising children, and particularly young boys, um, in that kind of classic phrase that we've all heard or I've heard. You know, man up, grow a pair, um, be a man, and all that stuff. And I suppose is it. Is it kind of similar or completely different? The same problems, but but from a different context for feminism or? Uh, I think for me, we have a culture which encourages women to stay in what I think of as their maiden. So as youthful as possible for as long as possible. Mm. Now, there's something extraordinarily beautiful about young women. There, there is, there's all the vitality that they have. And having been through that experience, there's also can be an enormous amount of insecurity throughout your late teens and 20s. And in your 30s, you're trying to work out um, in many ways how to adult, like how to, how to have good relationships, how to have good professional relationships. What do you want to do? And there is a tremendous amount of power if you work with yourself to mature so that you have mature healthy functional relationships so that you have mature professional relationships and that is quite countercultural because the world would like to keep women in a maiden she's not very empowered she has sensual power and sexual power that is bestowed upon her and she's certainly you know, I love the confidence that I had as a young woman and the confidence to be able to do things and go places. I didn't necessarily have the confidence of my own authentic self being enough in the world. So for me, the conversation really is about what does feminine maturity look like in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s, in your 60s? And in many ways, it's about your relationship with yourself and your willingness to literally stand in your power and not be concerned fundamentally about whether that's going to make everybody else happy. So yeah. that's what it is for me. Femininity is one aspect of it, but maturity is really what I'm focused on and particularly what that looks like at work. Mm. 
That would be quite a fascinating subject in its own right, really, isn't it? There's so much to that as well, isn't there? I suppose oh, the kind of pay gap question would come into that as well. Um, exactly. Hmm. Yeah, and what it is to be healthy, what healthy relationships look like at work. For women, mm. there's a lot of what we call emotional labour, a lot of checking out if everybody's emotionally okay. And there's a real reluctance to make men feel uncomfortable because we're trained from little girls. Never make a man feel uncomfortable. Mm. That's the worst thing in the world you could ever do. And that habit of always apologising for being late to a meeting or trying to check in on everybody else's emotional well-being drains energy and it's not great for men at work either. You just, you just don't need to be checked on emotionally all the time about how you're doing mm. uh, in the middle of a work context. Mm. Interesting because uh, this, is, this is kind of going off on a tangent, which I knew would happen when we, were spoke, when we spoke. I said, we will, I, I bet we'll go off on a tangent. Um, which is, is, and we will bring it back, but it's interesting because prior to, uh, so to be, I've had three female managers in my career, which I suppose is in my career, which is like I think eighty percent male, um, yeah, is is quite surprising. But two of them didn't get on with with proper hard asses, like really yeah. just not just not nice managers, and I. It's like, and that was that was kind of my experience of female managers, and was maybe incorrectly made a tarred them all with the same brush, and then, and then had my <clears throat> last female manager, who's the best manager I've ever had, um, and would definitely put her up in the in the kind of people that have been some of my best managers, particularly much probably the best people manager I've ever come across, and like kind of looking after her team and, and, and things like that and but then at the same time being that hard ass when you need to be a hard ass and say like yeah. right you need to get this done and, you know I just found like the perfect level um would you say that was probably a challenge for every manager though or is it more look I think for, when you're talking about I mean, managers and work you're talking about people and I think what happens in offices um Firstly, we don't have a lot of emotional maturity as a culture. We don't value emotional maturity. Uh, in fact, we have lots of treats <laughs> in our world. You know, we're kind of addicted to sugar and addicted to consuming. Yeah. And um, that way of being, I think of as treats and tantrums, is something that you can see in everybody. We've all got it. And I think that's really our inner little people. We're sort of about five. If you're looking for treats and rewarding yourself for the task you did at the office, you're pretty much a five-year-old in that moment. Um, and we suddenly know people under pressure who lose it and we go back to our defence mechanisms, which is often looks like a tantrum. Mm. So emotional maturity is being able to have that, conversation that's quite difficult and say actually this this needs to be worked on this needs to be improved how can we help you get to that point of improvement and in some of those conversations you'll find out what's going on for people has nothing to do with work but if they're getting divorced if their child is very sick if their parents have passed away recently you can't ask that person to be 100% emotionally focused at work. 
and you need to be able to tune into what's the right professional relationship in this moment. So we can get into overcaring or getting overly emotionally involved with our colleagues. And we can get into creating such a distance that we're really not present for our colleagues as well. And it's about having a, the right sort of emotional connection and maturity and absolutely knowing when you are not emotionally balanced yourself and it's better off for you not to have conversations with some people today because you've already reached an emotional overload before you left the house. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. I most definitely do treat myself sometimes as well. So I'll have to acknowledge that that's a five-year-old me <laughs> looking yeah. for, for a pizza after a hard day. <laughs> exactly. I think it's when you acknowledge that that's what's happening, one of the things that I think is important is to understand that somewhere along the line you've lost a sense of power because if it's your five-year-old who wants the treat, that you feel like you've been under pressure that doesn't feel great for you or you've been overcompensating or overstretching in a way that isn't good for your nervous system and your well-being. So it's not that we all have treats. Uh, being in offices, going to work, you know, there's a lot of chocolate around 2, 2.30 mm -hmm. in the afternoon. But there is another way to have maturity and emotional capacity at work and sort of notice when you're tipping over so that you don't take out that stress on everybody else because you've gone too far emotionally. Mm. But that doesn't take away from the, the, the treats themselves, though. So say, for example, like I'm just trying to think how, how the listener might might feel like so you get some businesses that might be like you know let's say we're a startup or something like a small yeah. medium-sized enterprise and we're like we, you know once we land this this is our first massive project we land this yeah i'm gonna buy everyone you know pizza friday or we'll go down yeah. the pub and we'll, we'll celebrate there's nothing wrong with stuff like that i suppose it's just that if you feel the need to and this is just how my interpreters so correct me if i'm wrong yeah. um <clears throat> if you feel the need to treat yourself after doing you know those kind of daily difficult tasks is, is that is that correct or yeah i think there's something about celebration we all want to be celebrated and we want to celebrate together i think the notion of treats is when you are so focused and wired and stressed and really quite tightly wound that the only thing that will get you through that afternoon or that task is knowing that there's chocolate or having that chocolate or um, wanting to go out and splurge on clothes. That would be mm. my feminine thing. When the reward for your life that you are living is on treats, then I would ask people to think about is what's going on for me that I'm losing all of this energy that the only thing that'll soothe me is the chocolate or the coffee. Mm. And it's not to be punishing of self. It's actually to look at it and say, these are my coping mechanisms for this stress. What are the other alternatives? And one of those is, can I track my stress and see if I can intervene before I get into overload? Mm. You're kind of acknowledging that it's not a treat, it's a coping mechanism. There's a clear, there's a kind of a clear difference, isn't there, between those two? 
like I think you're relying on the on the on the treat. It becomes yeah. I think um, if you think of it as a treat, it's usually your little person because little people are interested in treats. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's bribes are very well established mm-hmm. uh, in parenting, and I think there's other things like if you feel really entrenched in the gossipy nature of work and being up to date on what everybody's doing and thinking about how you're going to fit in that's usually an older part of you it's often quite teenage style behavior one of the examples i could give in that is i've worked in offices i've worked in big government departments i've worked in a lot of female dominated places and in those environments There just is this discussion about who said what and when they said it and what that means and how somebody else took it or felt harmed. I'm I'm pretty confident that's across both sexes, but my experience is that when you're caught up in that, there's a lot of emotional anxiety about what somebody thinks of you, about whether you're doing the task right, about whether you're good enough or there's a lot of defense mechanism where you shut down distance and become very hard edged with others. All of those processes are coping mechanisms because you're not necessarily feeling empowered and emotionally stable. You may not see it that way, but there are alternatives. And one of those is you don't need to be concerned about how other people are taking you when you're in your authentic self, when you're saying what you really need, when you're speaking with clarity about what you want, when you're clear about your capacity and when you're accountable for your actions, then you have a very stable platform to be centered in when everybody else kind of rocks around in who said what and all the gossip of all the politics of an environment like that. So, which I suspect to kind of bring it to our, to our point in, in this, which it does come around quite nicely, but like all of that stuff can be kind of exacerbated once we start work from home. So pretty much everybody is work from home right now. You know, the future of work is, it's inevitably going to change. You've had all those businesses that say you, you, you can never work from home. You know, whether whether that's because we're so reliant on the court, like to follow quite a, a big UK brand that, that do like, I think they did daily vlogs or something of their business. It is quite interesting that they have always been against work from home because they they found that coming into the office was the way that they built their culture. And that's how they like they were really happy and proud of the culture yeah, right. of their business. Makes and, sense. Yeah, and it, when they're talking about it, you're like, yeah, okay, it gets it. And that, every, and and then you're watching them, which is the beauty of this kind of yeah, digital age. But you're watching them pivot exactly, going into uh, everybody adjusting work from home, and seeing the challenge in its own right in you know in its rawest form is just the physical challenges of not being in that kind of culture but then on the flip side if you don't have that good culture that emotional security and stuff like all those stuff that we've just kind of talked about can get exacerbated when we get home because our treat cupboard is right next to us probably in the kitchen or um that the fit the need to to feel like you're being seen to do work is more intense because it's harder to be seen would that would that make sense yeah i think um 
I think the first point to be very clear on is that this is a very emotionally stressful time for mm. everyone. And we actually are all trying to work out how to manage our emotional context. So we're asked to be doing something new. You might be used to working from home. I'm used to working from home. People are used to, you know, having one person work from home and mm. swapping days and moving around. But we are not in our teams and in our businesses used to everybody working from home. And there are some fundamental pressures about being at home, trying to work while your partner is also at home, while your children are also at home, mm. while you're Skyping and telecommunicating and your colleague has their children and their partner at home. So it's not as easily delineated in the transition between my professional self working and my domestic personal self living in a house environment. There's a lot of tricky situations people are finding themselves into. Yeah, I, I would agree, most definitely. So I work from home pretty much all the time, other than other than the kind of site visits and being on the road, which can vary. Sometimes I'll be on the road for months and then sometimes I'll be at home for months, you know. But I can go really long periods of being working from home. And there are challenges I've had from that, which we'll probably come back on to. But to your point, my wife now works from home. Um Luckily, she's on on maternity, not maternity leave, but because she, because of the role she does, and because she's um, pregnant, she's been put into an admin role. Um, therefore, she was kind of sent home to work. Um, so, luckily, otherwise she'd be on the ward. She works in the hospital, basically, so she would be on the ward. So, touch wood, that's been really, it's been a good good thing. But then on the flip side. It's interesting because the house doesn't really have two desk setups yet. In soon yeah. we will. Um, so bless her, she's on the dining table, and I'm in this tiny little corner desk in our living room, which is fine. You know, most of the day it's fine, but when our calls clash, it becomes a challenge. You know, I'm I'm hard of hearing, so for me, um, she's on the phone behind me, and I'm on a on a call. You know, to about two meters away from her. I, yeah. I really struggled to hear and so it's those little logistical challenges just as much as the emotional the, the actual physical stuff you know it's just so much in this simple pivot to just work from home on a laptop it is really interesting how much it impacts I think you. the important thing in this context is to understand that your lover your partner just became your co-worker mm. and your relationship as co-workers, you need to have as many conversations and talk about preferences and the way you work and what you need with your partner now because they are your co-worker. My partner and I both work from home uh, ongoing. It's not a new situation from us. We're both creative people. And we've developed a range of systems to ensure that we can both be in our professional lives without necessarily tagging in on what do you want to have for lunch? Do you want coffee now? What would you like to do? And getting offended when the other person isn't as available as we would expect them to be as our lover in the house. And I've talked to a number of clients, this issue of availability 
and checking and how much time we need alone and how much neediness and input we are now expecting our partners to provide can make for a complex situation. There are a lot of simple things you can do to change that dynamic and give yourself some breathing space. Okay, so I, I know I can remember one of your your tricks and, and and stuff like. Why don't you kind of take us through some of those? Because I, I found them really interesting. I think I think pretty much everyone that listens to this podcast is probably working from home and going through those challenges. So I definitely think your tried and tested techniques will definitely help. So the first one is that you want to be able to indicate that you are not interruptible at this point in time that gives you the intellectual space and capacity to have the teleconference without having your ears picked up and alert for everything else that's happening in the room and in the house. What we do is that we are able to be in separate rooms. So we tie a ribbon, literally a red ribbon around the door handle. And when either of us see that, you know, I might be going down to think, what are you thinking about lunch? Like, what are you thinking? And I see the red ribbon. I'm like, okay, not, not a time to have this conversation. The simplicity of that gives both the person who needs the time to concentrate the assurance that they're going to have that space to concentrate. What it also does is stops all those really edgy dynamics between why are you interrupting me? I'm trying to do this and all that shortness and curtness that you get between mm. each other and the offense of, I was just going to see if you wanted lunch. I'm happy not to ask you if you don't want to have lunch, but all of that domestic, um, really conflicted, edgy experience. And the only reasons it's edgy is because both of you are trying to do professional work at home. It's not as edgy in that if you were both at work. The second thing I would do is have a conversation, firstly know for yourself and have a conversation with your partner about communication and preference styles of working. So my partner's very happy to be emailed and text during the working day. And that could be from anything of me thinking, okay, I'm gonna be late, I'm gonna be another hour um, with a client to I wanna go for a walk in the middle of the day, do you want to come? So he's very happy to have the bing, bing, bing on his computer. Any, as, as much as you would potentially if you were both at offices and you just shoot a text to each other. I, on the other hand, am not. I'm not interested in receiving texts. I certainly don't want emails coming up. I would prefer for him to hold that information and those lists of questions and send me one piece of communication that says, can we have an admin check-in when you're free? And what that means is I I like to do all of his questions in one thing so I can concentrate on that and then go off and do my own thing. So we're actually very different. Can you imagine if we hadn't had a conversation about these preference styles, how much agitation Mm. there is and that leads to upset and hurt feelings and it's just very, very layered. So those would be my first two things. Work out what your communication is about. You're not interruptible and how to respect it. And if you're both in the same room, it could be as simple as, putting a glass of water on the side of the table or whatever it is that makes sense to you, that that's a signal you're not interruptible. And the second is 
talk about the comms preferences because now you're trying to work out when should we have morning tea? When should we have lunch? What should we get for dinner? Should we do this? Should we do that in the middle of your office environment? Mm. I like that. I think the most powerful thing out of that is just that conversation a little bit like you you said at the beginning of that you have to kind of know that yourself which I think is a challenge in its own right to work out what your profit because I don't I don't think anyone has that com- conversation in the context of the office I don't think any of us really uh, I think in my experience when I've had to when I've had to go into an office um, my way of saying bugger off don't talk to me was I would put a big pair of headphones on and and that was it and that that was kind of very subtle way to say James is is yeah is is working concentrating or not subtle depending on who the other person is yeah (laughs) (laughs) depends on the size of the headphones I suppose um and then and then you've got then you've got the kind of office it's it's the same. It's exactly the same in a way, isn't it? I suppose in an office, you're going over to someone and say, "Hey, Bob," you know, and they're just like, yep. "Sorry, I'm I'm mad busy at the moment," or or something like that. And it's just being emotionally comfortable in yourself to be rejected, which is what what it is Correct. essentially, and and not be that sensitive that you go, "Oh, what's wrong with Bob? Bob Bob don't like me today." No, Bob's just crazy busy today. Just leave him alone. Yeah, I think that it's important to, in terms of know your own preferences and your point that we don't often have these conversations at work. For me, authenticity at work means you do have these conversations. Mm. They look like difficult conversations to have because they're not normal, but actually they really clean up the relationships with everybody so that you are avoiding the passive, aggressive behaviour, the coping mechanisms that everybody has when they're too stressed, too tired, overworked, or just are having a flat day. So for me, I would, anytime there was a new manager for me or that there was a new staff member, I would have the conversation of, so how do you like to work? What are your preferences? How do you like to be communicated with? If you're stressed and under pressure, how do you like to be supported? What do you need? So that I know the signals from the other person are their signals before I end up in an argy-bargy or really conflicted dynamic that actually could have been solved if we had a conversation about how you prefer to be communicated with. Mm. And, and I could just, you know, I can imagine that it all makes sense, doesn't it? You're doing that stuff would would probably reduce the amount of people that are on performance management, the amount of people that are being sacked or, or having arguments, et cetera, et cetera, because you're acknowledging those problems before you get to it being a problem, essentially, for, for the wider business. But still, I just sit around and I just think about that, that kind of British stiff upper lip and that kind of, you know, that giving the front of, of we're fine. And, you know, we've all been there. I, I do it. I think everyone, especially especially us Brits, you know, we, we're terrible at that stuff, having those honest, open conversations. I feel like we're getting better, but we are really bad at those kind of potentially awkward and honest conversations to say, you know, this is when I don't want to be spoken to or to be able to say, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling right now. It's a really hard thing to say, isn't it? It is. I think 
what you're doing is you're sharing really valuable information with the other person so that it really is your accountability for your emotional experience, but also for your task, for your deadlines. We tend to have these conversations by sending everybody off to a retreat and they get all their personality profiles and which hat are you or which Myers-Briggs are you. And then we lead those retreats and the next time something happens, it's like, oh, it's because you're a blue hat or you're a red gnome or, you know, <laughs> you're five foot four instead of six foot ten. Like this is the type of way in which these conversations are had. And it's all very entertaining on the day, but there isn't real change in the relationships. And that's because you haven't actually had a relationship conversation. You've had a conversation about types. And once you're into sort of separating your own personal experience and preferences into a type, then really you're getting a lot of distance between you and the other person and your type can be something you're punished for or it can be something you're defended against. And it can also be something that you're expected to do things because that's your type. Mm. And it would have, a lot of this is like, <clears throat> I suppose we've, we've kind of spoke to it around the individual taking accountability and stuff like that. But a lot of this is reliant heavily on, on the business, isn't it? Like, especially when working from home, you need that, uh, that trust in your staff. Like, so for example, you know, micromanagement, for example, would be so much more obvious if you were working from home, you know, you're, you're going to be getting emails. If you're micromanaged, um, you're going to be chased all the time. Whereas in an office, it might be a bit more subtle. Um, <clears throat> whereas at home, it's much more obvious. And I think that kind of extends into the wider culture of a business. So this stuff can be a lot more, like we said earlier, exacerbated or a poor culture can be just so obvious once you work from home because you're so much more re removed from the subtleties of, of office life. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that it can be subtle at offices, but you definitely feel it. If you find your shoulders have a lot of tension, you can even just notice in your body, which is a fantastic personal exercise to do. Do you find your hands are clasped or gripped or you've got fists? Do you find you jiggling your nervous energy, knee and your leg? What are your signs to yourself of your stress rising? We always like to say it's the other person who's done something to us. We always like to perhaps narrate ourselves into being either the victim of someone else's management style or the hero, hero or heroine. That really is, again, quite a young perspective on your own personal responsibility and accountability professionally. So... In this process, if you can notice your own stress mechanisms, then you can actually get some help with those, get some perspective on those and not be projecting that constantly onto another person. Mm. In terms of micromanagement, I always think when I see that behaviour that what is going on for that person? They are highly stressed if they're micromanaging. They don't have capacity to trust if they're micromanaging. It's not even about whether you're trustworthy or not. It's about their capacity to trust. 
it is not possible for somebody who has a low capacity to trust to just flip or trust you more just because you're a trustworthy person. You're actually asking them to do something extraordinarily difficult. So you have a couple of options in my view. You can actually call the behavior or sit down and say, so I really notice you like to be informed when I'm doing this and that, and you like a consistent communication. For me, I find that if I'm having to consistently communicate, I get a much higher stress level and the work takes longer to do. And in fact, I don't actually necessarily perform it to the best of my capacity. So we've got a bit of difference in our communication needs here. Can we talk about a way that might work for both of us? Because I can imagine for you, if you don't hear from me in an hour or something, that that's really quite stressful for you. And what you're doing is actually talking about each of your stress mechanisms and whether or not they agree to have the conversation, want to change behavior. What you've done is name the passive aggressive dynamic that is currently going on. So it's not kind of as simple as how I would have thought it to be like, uh, you when you say, to be honest, we, we still get it nowadays, you know, people will be like, well, we saw that you were on Facebook or we saw that you were active on LinkedIn in the middle of the day. And my attitude towards that has always been, yeah, I'm, I'm what? Like, am I, am I KPIs or whatever I'm being measured on? Are they, are they not performing? Well, no, you, you're still performing. Then what's the problem? Um, yeah. yeah. And that's always been my stance on it is like, and, and I suppose that does heavily rely, be reliant on trust. And, and then from me as the, the person doing the do is, is being accountable for that and saying, you know, if I, if I don't deliver on my KPIs and you know what, ring me up, send me an email, let's have a meeting. You can hold me to account as much as you, you, you kind of want to, because that's your right. And I'm not performing. Then on the flip side is me as a personality kind of thing. Well, you need to not be monitoring what I'm doing 24 seven because I'm still yeah. delivering. So it's not as simple then maybe as just that's my personality and that's how you manage me. It's actually so much more wider than this, isn't it? It's probably, so I kind of think that if somebody's micromanager and say a middle, middle manager is, is a micromanager, it may be a little bit their personality or their style, whatever, but, nine times out of 10 is because the, the pressure is also being put on them from above, or maybe even they're being micromanaged. Like there's so much more to this, isn't there? There's so much more to the story. And when you have more pieces of the story, you start to take it a lot less personally. Mm. Now you don't need to necessarily get involved in how they're managing their stress, but you can watch for those trigger points in you. Cause you know, you're like, Frag off, stop stop checking up on me. Mm. I'm going to do more of this if you keep checking up on me. Mm. And once again, I find that that's probably quite a younger little part's response to if you're going to keep checking on me, then I'm really going to give you some problems <laughs> or you're going to keep checking on me, I'm going to get really defensive with you. Mm. And there is a place where you can be neutral. You can say this person has this capacity and these stress needs what sort of conversation can I have with them and can I be consistent for me it's like 
I don't want to be checked up on three times in an hour. So I can choose. I see your 60 emails, one a minute, checking up on me. But every hour, I'm going to respond to your email so that I set the pace of consistency that then offers some sustainability for them to come and see that I'm not just ignoring them and I'm not just defending against them. But how can I manage my experience with that person? We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a shameless sponsorship clip. In all seriousness, guys, we partnered up with DRM Group. You know David McLean, he's been on the podcast time and time again. We absolutely support his message and he's got a brand new online course to help you. I'm going to let him tell you all about it now. The brain can be trained to think and behave differently, to think in more positive and optimistic ways. And there are steps that you can take to train your brain to feel good for good. And we call this lasting positive change. Through our 16-day program, which includes daily videos and action sheets, taking you no longer than 15 minutes to complete a day, you will learn how to move away from thoughts of anger, hopelessness and frustration to a place of mental well-being and positivity. Okay, guys, so if you're interested, you can click the link below and get a discount, special rebranded safety discount, full disclosure. We get a little bit kickback from that. So at the same time as improving your mental health, you can support your favorite health and safety podcast and YouTube channel. I'll let you get back into the content. Would you, would you say there's a point to say this relationship's just not going to work then? Because, for example, if, if my, let's say, for example, my manager was exactly what you just said, emailing you all the time, and then I said, well, I'll email you once an hour, even once an hour for me, it's just like, why, why am I doing this? Well, I'm going to give you an update yeah. every hour to say what I'm doing. Like, let's just talk once a month or something like even what even like when businesses do those weekly kind of checkup calls i think that is genuinely what they are to me they just feel like you're just checking up you know well do you want to go around the table and 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 kind of see just tell everyone what you've been doing i think i think this is so heavily reliant on the culture and how you feel within the business because if you're in a good position with the business you're comfortable in that business you're uh, you have a good team environment, you know, and it's just a nice place to work. You probably don't look at those weekly checkup calls as a checkup. You exactly. see them and feel them as a as a quite a nice opportunity to kind of discuss. But if the culture is poor, you see it as a checkup, and it's and it's a pain in yep. in the bum. So I suppose my point is, if it feels like that, is that and and when we've kind of done as much personally as we can do you know we've acknowledged where we may be the problem on our personality and stuff there's a point it's got to be a point to say this just isn't working you know our relationships are not working i think it's really important to work out what your boundaries are and where you feel where you've compromised too much that's important for any relationship and that's when you get into this sense of being either feeling disempowered and victimized or feeling defiant once you're in either of those two positions, you are way off balance in your own self and your mind is seeing everything as an escalation point. Everything becomes high stakes. 
So the question I would have in that situation, which I've been in definitely before, is how can I take this down from being high stakes for me? Because not everybody has the capacity to change managers or change jobs in those processes. Especially at these times, yeah. That person, that personality type that really rubs against you, you will likely meet them two and three times in your career and you are going to be challenged by them. So for me, when that happens to me, I'm always like, what is it about this person's personality, the way they are, that's triggering me? And how can I find more balance in myself to then communicate to them? Because the more balanced I am, they may escalate their behavior, but I haven't lost my ground and my balance and I'm not bumping around in response to them. And if you've got all that kind of, that, that, that kind of sense of, like you were saying, defiance or, or just a kind of vulnerability, I suppose. Um, and then, and then to add to that, you've got times like these, you know, we can't yeah. look for a job right now, for example, or if you can, if you want to, or you still are, it's slow or, you know, every, every, no one's going to be recruiting at this time. And if they are, they're probably only going to be those kind of key worker kind of positions but that aside so times are really difficult and then on the flip side if you're not used to working from home like you quite rightly stated earlier these are really stressful times you've got a bad culture etc within your business you're not comfortable you're vulnerable and then bang all of a sudden you're working at home with your wife yeah. husband kids dog whatever you've just you've had all these existing kind of so to use a friend of mine's phrase like your stress bucket is pretty high you know it's Correct. pretty full and then all of a sudden we add all this new stuff in but we're overflowing in, in seconds and you can feel quite lonely and stressful and, and, and I think, isolated and confused yeah. and distressed yeah. actually like you're emotionally overwhelmed mm. and everything becomes high stakes so the question then is what can you do to help yourself at this point in time because yeah. everything else is going to be stressed. Everybody you work with, everybody you interact with, all of our stress levels are high. All of us are triggery or we're checking out. Like everybody's in their coping mechanism at the mm. moment. But there is an opportunity for you to look at this experience and work out how you're going to grow and learn from it. Uh, my expertise is often around chronic illness and working with chronic illness. If you have a chronic illness, you have to work out your own self-care practices before you move into the office environment because you have a lower capacity and higher stress trigger point. Mm. And that's now what everybody's facing. It's like you're working from home, you're housebound, things have been taken from you. Your normal ways in which you can get fresh air or get exercise or get new vitality moving in your body is no longer available to you. There's sort of you and your mind and your emotions and everybody else in the same bucket. But the person who can actually grow through this and mature and develop is you. And nobody likes maturing. If we liked it, we wouldn't be having all these coping mechanisms <laughs> with working with other people. Like 
the whole idea of maturing and being more grown up and more accountable and more balanced and more emotionally responsible for ourselves that just looks like enormous hard work. It's much better to blame everybody else for our experience. Mm. I totally get that. If you want to have a pity party, knock yourself out. I fully support a pity party. Go for it for two days, three days, and then sit yourself down just like you would a toddler and say, this is what we're going to do to help care for you now. You're overtired. You're overwrought. You actually need some sleep. So what do you need to do to take care of yourself? And businesses have to acknowledge that as well. I think that, that all of our people are just in coping stage right now, whether, whether your business is, is, you know, absolutely run to the hills and, and you're absolutely rammed because you're working in healthcare or, or, you know, one of the other key industries like, the Tesco or Asda or something like that, for example, who are Delivering dealing with food, things. yeah, posties, are, like exactly. enormous pressure, dealing with stuff they've never dealt with before, and it's extremely difficult because, you know, like I said to you before we started recording, you know, I mean, recording in the kitchen today because we, you know we've had so much problems trying to buy a bloody desk. But the first surprise was that you can still buy and get delivered a desk. Um, so I was like, oh great, so I carry on, but then yesterday was feeling like it was it was normal and I was quite I wouldn't say yeah I was quite strict on the customer services and saying like it's not acceptable this is twice now and I need this bloody desk but then that part of me is not accepting that they're probably in coping stage as well um so I think there's there's so much to this as the business the customers the everybody you know understanding that these are and, and i hold my hands up you know I'm, i need to go through this as much as anybody i think you know we're all going through this we all have to realize that these are just crazy times we're all adjusting yeah. and we're all and coping what's, what's tipping you over like mm. i think i notice when i tip over you actually don't you know you're at that level of stress till you lose it somewhere and whatever losing looks like for you for me it might look like a liter of ice cream um, (laughs) for anybody else you know it's a raised voice I certainly get those times as well for me it's I still need to be responsible for self-care and self-management whatever else is happening so if I'm at nine out of ten my curiosity and job is to work out can I notice when I'm at eight out of 10? Can I notice when I'm at seven? Learn about myself because I am the only person in this moment who can actually take care of me. And everybody else is having this experience. Like we all know what it looks like when nobody's taking care of themselves. We've really got that picture pretty clear at this point in time. I think from businesses perspective around health and well-being no matter how personally stable you feel to recognize that everybody is stressed everybody is in their coping mechanisms so what can we do to help people with their coping mechanisms what can we offer and i think it's something as simple i've been really noticing that there's a lot of complaints we make when we're under stress we just have a long list of complaints and who wronged us but all the things that are wrong and have gone wrong. Mm. And one of the things I've tried to do is notice all the things that have gone right. Even Mm. if it's just three a day, but can I adapt 
some of my stress patterns so that I can actually say, what is this situation that I'm really in? I'm housed, I'm fed, I'm employed, I'm connected to other humans. I live in a first world country. Let's just get on the page about this. I have access to healthcare. So there is an environment which is saying there's a life-threatening situation. There's a survival-threatening situation out there for everybody, which is highly debatable depending on, you know, which part of the spectrum you fit in. A lot of people have mild symptoms. But we are recognising that collectively we're taking action to protect and care for those who are vulnerable. And that is a beautiful part of society that we're participating in. So can we look at our situation as really looking at what's going right for us and then work at the edges of our complaints? Yeah, there's kind of like people that do those kind of gratitude diaries and things like that. I, I think there's some power in that for sure. I definitely do think that reminding yourself, and I, and, I, and I think you're right in a way that you need to be reminded of those things, don't you? Because you take them for granted. Times like this 100% remind you that, wow, you know, just popping to Tesco was, was such a luxury. It was a luxury. Yeah, that now we don't have, and and now you know, you know, and and there, there are, you know, negatives to that as well, and that people buy more, and we run out of stocks, but that's that's a separate conversation. But we we lived in this full-on first-world luxurious kind of, yeah, situation. That that's been a that's been a big kind of challenge for me personally. I think is that just that that pivot into not not work from home or anything like just the pivot of that loss of freedom like yeah. you know never went to the pub really just would always and, and would actively nine times out of ten avoid going and seeing friends and family because i just couldn't be bothered and now i'm like jesus i wish i just had that freedom to pop to the pub or see my mates and hey, don't get me wrong i'm not a hermit i do go and see my friends but there's those times where you think Ugh, God, I wish I, I wish I'd have just gone to that or whatever. And, and now it's gone. It's like, it's like the old saying, isn't it? You don't know what you got till you lost it or something like that. Something like that. I'm terrible at remembering phrases, but it's very yeah, much like I think that. There is a grief process, and once again, anybody who's been through life-threatening illness or had a serious health crisis and has to be housebound while everybody else is working because they've got fatigue or they've had an experience where they actually aren't at a full capacity like a lot of other people they know when you've had that the loss of freedom just the idea that you took your health for granted that you were always going to be well there is an enormous amount of grief in that and we're in a grief experience and it's important to actually name that and say that that's true and grief sucks Grief sucks, like there's nothing great about the experience. But if you can say, I actually am feeling those losses and let yourself at least feel some of those feelings, then all of that agitation part of you is going to start to calm down because you're actually addressing what you're actually feeling. And a lot of the agitation is sort of coping mechanisms on top of the genuine grief that you're feeling. The other aspect is it will pass mm-hmm. and it's very hard to sit in something when you don't know well when it will pass and you don't know when you'll have your freedom back. 
but we can absolutely guarantee this will pass and you will be able to be free. You're going to have a positive health outcome. There are a lot of people who have a health crisis or have a divorce or lose a parent and not necessarily feel they had a positive outcome from the experience. Mm. Yeah, and I think, I think that's, that's difficult to do, but I do think there is power in it when you do it and i think those kind of daily reminding yourself things to be grateful of is a powerful those kind of gratitude diaries whatever you want to call them journals etc are unbelievably powerful i think it gets you to focus on something that you can actually manage and work with rather than all of the things that you can't control Hmm. and that's what you want to do you want to look for the places where you have power you've got a lot of powerlessness And you can't argy-bargy with the places you've got powerlessness. So look for the places where you have power and what can you do to support that in your own well-being and in the well-being of others. One of the things that I always do if I notice myself complaining, I ask myself, what do I really want? Because a complaint often masks a desire or need. And actually, if I can get to work out what the desire and need is, then I've got more capacity to actually have a positive outcome for myself. So at the moment, it's like, okay, I don't feel I've got a lot of power. I'd like to have a bit more freedom. I feel like my freedom has been lost. I feel like I don't have control over what I do with my day or hanging out with my friends. Okay, what do I want to do? I want to have a sense of freedom. What can I do with myself today to give me a sense of freedom And in that moment, for me, it's like, actually, I'm a pretty free human being by, you know, by the scale across the world of freedom. Mm. I've got enormous freedom. And can I take a walk? What can I do that fits within the restrictions that still gives me a sense of having choice and freedom? Mm. When we're... um... So when, when I kind of um, go through like LinkedIn and stuff, and, and this is a little bit of a, as, of a flip, but it's something that as we kind of talk about taking control of ourselves and acknowledging our power and things like that, um, I, I keep c- coming back to these kind of posts we see all the time about work from home and probably saw it before, but now you see it all the time is that kind of the jokey post of I'm sitting on the, say this video called wearing a shirt yep. and a tie. And then I get up and walk off and I'm not wearing any pants, for example, it is, it, yep. it is a joke, but in a, it, it, how is that powerful? Like taking control of just how we dress, for example. Totally. So, so I don't, I don't get up and put a shirt and tie on because I know I'm working. I don't trick, like I don't really wear a shirt and tie for work anyway, but like I wear a shirt, but I don't get up and wear a shirt whilst I'm, working from home but i'm not sitting around in my dressing gown for example um so there's got to be a kind of a power in that self-motivation self-discipline whatever you want to call it um well there's actually the capacity for self-expression in it as well there's a sense of this is who i am and this is what i'm doing today and clothing is a mechanism really to help us shift and transition and there's certain ways in which we dress for work and i think that you want to be really cautious about staying in your pajamas because it's so tempting to stay in your pajamas but 
what does that do to your energy? It can make you feel really sluggish. It can literally make you feel sleepy, so to speak. It's great for a Saturday or a Sunday, wonderful. But you wanna be accountable for your own energy. And once again, what brings energy into you, into your body, being dressed for work helps you stay in that work dynamic within your own energy. It helps you stay focused, it gives you clarity. I always think, you know, you're probably going to be in socks rather than shoes. You don't want to be stomping around the house in the process. So you want to have something that's comfortable for the environment you're in. And you also want to give yourself the best shot at having a good day. And uh, yeah, I, I, I do think personally for me, so the, the thought of even on a Saturday sitting in pajamas all day just sounds horrible. I can't stand it. Like when I'm up out of bed, like I need to have a shower straight away, like yeah. and get get washed and dry. That's just me. So for me, that that's quite easy. Um, but I do understand that people would be like, yeah, I could easily stay in my dressing gown all day. But I think it, like you were like you were saying, if I if I ever come downstairs without having like getting full on washed and dressed it's, it's because i plan on doing nothing for that nothing. morning um so i think it sets a tone in maybe subconsciously as to what you're expecting to do today isn't it and it's that kind of it's similar in a way to that um that saying you know always make your bed in the morning because it's a first achievement in a way i suppose it's kind of one in the same as, as getting dressed really isn't it and it gives you that transition from domestic life to business life. So you want to have a transition at the beginning of the day and you want to have a transition at the end of the day. And that used to be being on the tube, being on the bus, walking from home, even stopping at the grocery store on the way. Mm. There was a ritual or a habit that you had that said, this is my time and I'm transitioning before I go into domestic life. Now you're sitting in the middle of your domestic life and you think you can switch between these lives that you're having or these experiences that you're in, but you still need a transition. So at the beginning of the day, get dressed properly, definitely get showered, get ready, get everything set up that you need at your office desk, including water, so that you've got your own space. And then as you end the day, what is the transition for you? For some people, it's like a drink at the end of the day or even surfing the web for things that you're interested in or watching TV or taking a walk or whatever it is that makes a transition. But give yourself the capacity and time to make the transition for however long it is so that then you can move into domestic life. Mm -hmm. And if you have that discussion with your partner as well, then you both get the opportunity to transition back into the domestic relationship. Mm. And I think I think there's got to be a, a bit of self-discipline and, and, and awareness as well around that to be able to say it, it's not as simple nowadays for most people to say, you know, I work nine till five. You know, most people Correct. are flexible working nowadays and you might have a day where you can't start till 10 um, and then you're, you're going to finish at four, for example. Yep. And, and, and historically, we would be like, oh, you're, you're pretty much only working a half day. Um, and I think there's that kind of self-awareness for yourself to be able to say, I'm mad busy today. I'm probably not going to log off until six, six o'clock. Correct. I'm going to log off at six o'clock. And I, I'm going to accept that 
I'm going to tell my other half if, if I live with somebody else and say, I'm not going to finish till six today. She's like, okay, cool. I'll walk the dog. That's fine. Whatever. And you have those conversations, but, but be able to say that to yourself that that's fine. I can work till six today, but this is not a consistent thing of starting at seven and finishing at six, for example, and having that self-discipline to be able to acknowledge I'm not finishing till six or I'm finishing at four today because I worked till seven last night or, or whatever and log off. I think the problem yeah. is, is that we don't, log off that that's that's the main point and when i say log off i don't just mean log off on the laptop like log off on the phone turn the work phone off like if you're on call or whatever then obviously put that to one side but um you know if you can it's that kind of full-on switching off not just working so you know i always used to say to people and i'm sitting at home watching a te- watching telly at like nine ten o'clock at night and i'm getting emails and i'm like yeah what is that noise and it's my bloody work phone going off and i'm like and then the next day i'll see that person and be like why the hell are you emailing yeah. at 10 o'clock at night you've got to have some serious conversations with your manager and yourself that you're still yeah. working at 10 o'clock at night i think depends on your situation so some people find work is a great distraction or it fills a lot of needs for self-validation and expectation and it's again that tipping point you could be very well rewarded for working, overworking, extensively working. Like there's a lot of cultural reward and actually often a lot of financial reward for that. And you need to be decisive about what works for me. And if you're caught up in a situation where you feel you have to demonstrate that you're on top of everything and you're at, you know, answering emails at 10 p.m. at night, you have to think about not just your well-being, but how that's agitating your staff and whether or not if you feel that's your manager's expectation, either overtly or covertly, then you're having a very serious conversation about you as a human being and the power dynamic that you're in. Because that is just rife with power dynamics and you want to be clear about actually, do I have to give all my power away and be sending emails in order to feel half okay about the job that I'm doing. Yeah, I definitely think there is just so many kind of what we would deem as awkward conversations to be had, isn't there? <laughs> in, in a way, is that kind of honest conversation is probably the best way to describe it. And start with yourself. Like if you can't get honest with yourself, at least be honest that you can't be honest with yourself and you don't (laughs) want to address it and you just want to go through life this way. Like (laughs) if it's worked for you so far, fine. But you'll usually find there's a lot of other sacrifices and compromises for things that are not healthy for you. And sooner or later, you'll end up face down on the floor in the fetal position one way or another. And I think that the experience that we're having collectively and the nature of work that we're really thrust in at this point in time is illuminating all of these high stakes, high cost patterns that perhaps we weren't as aware of because we were able to offset them with shopping and dining out and dinner and a whole lot of other things where we weren't as honest with ourselves about our level of happiness, about our own well-being, and about the honest communication that we probably need to have. 
And again, that's something that would be exacerbated at the moment as well. Because if you're one of those people in a job that just works Monday to Friday for the weekend, um, you know, and what gets you through whatever you do as a job is saying at the weekend, I'm watching a football or I'm watching a yeah. rugby or I'm going away somewhere. You can't. Correct. There's no, there's no escapes now. I mean, I'm, I'm missing rugby like crazy. I, yeah. I would always at least watch it once a weekend. I used to play it as well, and or, or record it or something like. It's literally there, and oh god, I'm missing it like mad. But it, it's, it's, if you're that person that works to see that, you haven't got that anymore either. Like everything is correct. Everything is just exacerbated. You, know, you can really open the, the lens on your life right now can't you just realize shit. you're you're actually being forced to open your lens on it mm. like um whatever you're you know what you're doing and how it's not working for you at this point in time because mm. you're having to sit with yourself and you can't find a way to take the edge off mm. my my view about that is fantastic great let's just start to feel that and have an experience of where could you have more balance and more power? Because if you feel like you can't get your needs met at this point in time and it's really starting to drive you crazy or you find yourself frantic, that pattern has been there long before COVID-19 turned up. That pattern goes way back. And you're kind of a bit at the mercy of your coping mechanism. And there yeah. are alternatives. You don't have to stay in that position. It's fascinating, isn't it? And I, don't, and I think I can, you know, I'm not sitting here from a, my ivory tower saying that I'm, I'm not going for it. I think everyone's going through this. I quite come doing my career, but there's definitely things that I've seen in these last three weeks that I just think, right, okay. I don't really want to think about it now, but that definitely needs sorting out or... You know, this yeah. is an opportunity to, like, to use your phrase, kind of take that power to be able to have those conversations with ourselves and say whether it is something as simple as just having a conversation with your manager when you get back, or you are the manager having a conversation with your your kind of employees, for example, or it's at the extreme of once this is over, I'm getting a new bloody job. Yeah, it's it, this is the opportunity to reflect isn't it it is a very deeply reflective moment i mean we're having a reflection about the whole economy that we're all in there's a lot of reflection going on and that opportunity is actually very rare it is a crossroads conversation you are at a crossroads and because of you don't have ex control over your external environment as much then the crossroads is within yourself. And if you feel you need support, reach out for it. Like find it with the friends, find professional support. Have a look online and see who you're drawn to that you feel is standing in more of their power, that you feel is making a lot more sense to you, is somebody that you're a bit magnetised towards what their message is and how they're coping with it. Because that is your intuition telling you, go this way. And it's a lot more rewarding to go towards something that is going to help you grow and mature 
than it is to stay in the means of this is all terrible and everybody's ruined my life and I'm at the mercy of this and the government's done the wrong thing and God, when will I be able to go to Rome again because suddenly that's the most important thing in the world even though I haven't been in the last 10 years. <laughs> so really find the, find the people and the places that are speaking to you in a way that feels nourishing and makes you feel energised and makes you feel like there's something to move towards and start to be accountable for yourself about where you're wasting your energy. Mm. Well, I think that's a great place to kind of leave it there. Um, you, you've all been told. <laughs> um, I'm I mean, I going to say towards the end of this, you know, if you've got any kind of tips for this transition or work from home or anything, but I think we've covered it. Is there anything that you think we, we haven't covered that would be your, your kind of top tip for, the, for this period or, or, or even just a transition and physically work from home? Yeah, I think the most important thing is self-compassion and you are going to see yourself in your stress mechanisms. You just need to accept that that's what's happening and there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually okay. And you're going to feel like you've got to develop new habits and you're not going to know how to do them perfectly. And it might take six months and that's also okay. So the part of you that might want to perfect working from home or perfect your relationships at this point in time, just cut yourself as much slack as you'd like other people to cut you some slack mm. because it is difficult. And the best relationship you can have is one of love and self-care with yourself rather than one that's very domineering and punishing. Mm. Beautiful. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> I couldn't put it better myself. Most definitely couldn't have said it. That nice myself. Thank you very much, Michelle. It was an amazing conversation. It's absolutely my pleasure. I'm really delighted to speak to you. And, um, you know, people can find me. There's lots of tips and resources and videos available for people to have a look. Cool. Awesome. And you, do, you, do you do any work in the, in the UK or are you all your clients in so Australia. i run an online course a couple of them one for uh, people recovering from serious illness and chronic illness called transition to wellness i also at the moment in a couple of weeks will be launching finding feminine maturity so again my focus is on women and helping women have really mature emotional relationships with themselves and others and I've been doing online for quite a while, so you can find a lot of good resources at my website under michelleirving.com.au. And you'll find things that are really short, sharp bits that you can take and implement in your own life practically fast. Awesome. I will link that website in the description below for everyone as well, so um, they can go and have a look. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode other than my messed up intro. If you did, give us a like and a follow and subscribe and a bell button and a, any other button that is on your screen that looks like it could remotely be positive to the algorithms and all that malarkey. If you do any of that, then tag us in it and say, hey, I've just give you a rate and review on iTunes or I've just um, 
done something else really positive that really helps you, James. Um, and I will show my appreciation to you, maybe giving you a shout out on this channel where you get, you really just win nothing other than my praise and admiration. But I appreciate it, really do appreciate it. If you think of somebody that would like the podcast and you share it with them, wow, Jesus, you know, you might actually win something. Like, I might post you a cuddle. Yep, that's what I'll do. I'll post you a cuddle. If you do that, if you share it and let me know, say, hey, I've just shared this with Bob or Sheila. I'm like, oh, thank you. Give me your address. I'll post you a cuddle. Nice one. I'll catch you next week in the podcast. By the way, if you want to talk to Michelle, all the websites and links are down in the description. Catch you next week. Safe.